0: Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com, a multi-channel media experience about technology and emotions. Can I just admit to everyone that I'm having an emotional week? You can. So Paul is here. Hi, Paul. Hello. Dieter is here. I'm also having an emotional
1: week, but it's not just, as much it's as It's just you. the three
0: of us this week, OG yeah. crew. Mm-hmm. But yesterday, I recorded the last episode of Control-Alt-Delete with Mr. Walt Mossberg. We put up his last column today. I have some news to share that is much happier than that, which is that on June 9th, Dieter will be in in town here in New York City and we will be recording the last special episode of Control-Alt-Delete live in New York City at the School of Visual Arts at 6 p.m. School of Visual
1: Arts, 6 p.m. New York City. Ticket stuff is coming soon. We'll explain how that works. Yeah, I, to- I'll just
0: I'm just gonna just full transparency, audience. I've been waiting all day for the link for someone because I'm not in charge of ticket. I run a lot of things. I don't run ticketing systems. Mm. I've been waiting for somebody to give me the link, the buy link, so I can put up the post. I don't have it yet. Yeah, I'm working on it. Those they're good people. They're working hard. They're settling out some things.
1: So I believe the tentative plan is I'm not actually going to be on the the live Control Alt Delete, but I'm going to be in New York so that every time they say my name on Control Alt Delete, I'll be in a dunk tank and I'll get <laughs> dunked.
2: <laughs>
0: Deen are just going to get on. live Slack notifications that we're talking <laughs> about him. But no, it's going to be one last. It's we did 75, you know, pre-recorded standard episodes of Control Alt Delete. We're going to do one last. Live episode with Dieter. We're gonna mm-hmm. have you can come if you want. June 9th, six p.m. School of Visual Arts. I assure you, there will be a post on the site mm-hmm. for that. So that is, it takes the, the bitter and makes it sweet.
3: That's right. Is that a
0: thing?
1: It's bittersweet. It's yeah. sweet and bitter. Yeah,
3: bitter. It's and both. Sweet. I think there's like a pill now that you can take. <laughs> that like coats your tongue.
0: Oh no, there's like a weird fruit.
3: Oh, is there a fruit that there's does like it? a weird fruit that you eat that makes I don't know, it's a whole thing. That's what live like, shows are. <laughs> like, like <laughs> weird
0: like weird weird, it's <laughs> like a weird fruit for your body. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, June 9th, but anyway, today was both the last control out delete of the regular kind and Walt's last column went up. So I'm in, a, I'm in a little bit of a mood, yeah. I gotta say, and we're down to one podcast, yeah. I will say that last week on the show, I asked for more podcast ideas. I specifically said, Please don't just say Vlad. Right. many of you failed to listen, <laughs> so we might have something for you a little bit later in the show. But we, you're good. We're still, you know, I, there should not just be one solo flagship.
3: We're not just like a pirate. <laughs> and it's not tower. like we did a bad job with the armada. Yeah, all the other ships are destroyed. <laughs> 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 the Spanish destroyed our our, our flotilla. It was a voluntary, amicable. Yeah. Well-deserved retirement. Yeah. Of a ship. ship. <laughs> 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 he sailed
0: off and in, literally into the sunset. Anyway, uh, but because we're, we have some fun stuff to talk about in the show, a little surprise for the Vlad people coming up, but I I want to start heavy. I'm in, the, I'm in the emotional place to start heavy. There was heavy news this week. We're going to start heavy. heavy. So we're going to start with net neutrality. There's a bunch heavy. of other stuff. I promise you, if you, if you don't want to be heavy with us, mm-hmm. just skip ahead. And then there's like a good time waiting for you. Yeah. But if you're you're in the emotional zone with me, this is where we're starting. Net neutrality. So. For or against? <laughs> 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 Damn it. Uh, I actually have a whole thing I'm writing next week. Uh, I, I think it's going to publish on Monday. The, it occurred to me throughout this entire debate that I don't actually care about yeah. net neutrality for its own sake. Neil so I I shared actually, his
1: first draft with me of this, and I gave him a – a 16-point comment, and then I deleted all the swear words. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to accept any of those. Edits.
0: <laughs> there are a bunch of swear words in there. Anyway, so I'm working on it. But I, I want to start there with, with the listeners. So I talk about that neutrality a lot. Paul and I debated a lot. Ajit Pai and his army of trolls who work with him at the FC, who literally troll me on Twitter, <laughs> so I don't even feel bad about calling him that. It's not really about the policy, right? The thing is the consumer product that you buy, internet access – is often overpriced and bad. Mm-hmm. There are lots of reasons for that. You can either try to attack it and saying there should be more options in the market, there should be competition, things will get better. Generally, when there's competition, things get better. Or you can say, wow, this is really hard and the way that the market is structured, competition doesn't seem likely. We should make it, we should have public policy in place that says you can't be, they can't do the things that people don't like. That's like the whole whole structure of the thing, right? If you have an internet service provider, Comcast. I always pick on Comcast. Disclosure, Comcast is an investor in Vox Media. If you have Comcast and they start blocking BitTorrent, which they have done, and you can't reasonably switch to another provider to register your outrage at such behavior, well, you're screwed. We should probably make a rule that says they can't do that. So that's like where I'm at with net neutrality, right? Like the thing itself, I'm just firmly on the side of these companies are basically monopolies. There's very little competition. They tend to raise prices and not make the service better over time. We're not going to fix it. I, I, I just don't believe it. So we should probably have some regulations. That's like a reasonable place to start a, a policy disagreement. But this is the week that Ajit Pai uh, and the other Republican commissioners of the FCC put out what they call their Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. So they've kicked off the official start Of the process by which they roll back net neutrality, so this isn't the plan. That's actually like an important point. This is not their plan. These are like questions. Yeah, it's they're like searching plaintive questions about the nature of the regulatory state.
1: But I mean, how often does this? Hey, we want to make some rules. Everybody, tell us what you think. Uh, Here's what we think. We're going to make some rules, but. Tell us what you think. That's basically what this is right I now, I would right?
0: describe these as very leading questions. We had Gigi right. Sohn, who is a very smart person. She used to be a counselor to the, uh, Chairman Wheeler when he was on the FCC. She wrote an analysis of it and was like, basically what this document is, is a series of leading questions that presuppose the answers and use a lot of ISP-funded studies to draw conclusions. But conclusions in the form of a question. Yeah. So I, I've, I've pulled some out here. So the NPRM is out. It came out this week. We have a bunch of stuff uh, on it to read on the site if you want to get deep into it. Uh, Jake wrote a great piece noting that 2.6 million comments were filed in between the draft and this final version, and they made no changes in responses to those comments, which I think is fascinating. They made some changes in response to, like, legal posturing, so when the inevitable lawsuit comes, they're in a stronger place. But the the millions of people who have commented, their views are not reflected. But... There are some lines here that I think are worth reading, and they're specifically about what we think about as net neutrality. No blocking, uh, no throttling, no paid prioritization, the stuff that people don't like and they don't want their ISPs to do. So here's a line. We emphasize that we oppose blocking lawful material. The commission has repeatedly found the need for a no-blocking rule on principle – Asserting that the freedom to send and receive lawful content and to use and provide applications and services without fear of blocking is essential to the internet's openness. That sounds good. But then here's the searching plaintiff question. Do we have reason to think providers would behave differently if the commission were to eliminate the no-blocking rule? Is the no-blocking rule necessary or burdensome on smaller providers? This is what I mean by leading questions. They're like, well, they're not doing it now, but if we took the rule away, would they – Maybe they just wouldn't do it anyway because everyone agrees. I think that's very strange. Here's the same question for no throttling. Does the no throttling rule prevent providers from offering broadband internet service providers with differentiated prioritization that benefits consumers? Does the no throttling rule harm latency sensitive applications and content? Does it prevent product differentiation among ISPs? If we eliminate the no blocking rule, should we also eliminate the no throttling rule? It sounds reasonable, but what they're saying is we might not have any rules at all for the internet.
1: Well, and they're also, like, they're setting up a particular kind of, like, burden of proof, right? Like, please prove—it's also, like, asking people to prove a negative. Like, there's a flip side to asking a leading question, which is, if we didn't have this rule, would they do something— you know, has anybody done something bad that shows that we need this rule? But the flip side of that question is, has this rule actually, like, done anything bad to these people, right? Yeah. And, like, I think the answer to both of those questions might actually be— a little bit fuzzier than partisans on both sides of this issue would want to admit but like throwing it into that like muddy prove a negative style waters sort of means that no matter how you rhetorically respond to that question you end up in muddy waters and then they could just say well it's muddy we're gonna do what we want
0: yeah so uh, i know you want to say something paul but let me just read the next sure, sure. two um so paid prioritization for example Could allowing paid prioritization give internet service providers a supplemental revenue stream that would enable them to offer lower-priced broadband to to end users? What would be the impacts on new startups and innovation? Does a no-paid prioritization rule harm the development of real-time or interactive services? Should the commission impose restrictions on these business models at all? This makes it seem, and I just want to be really clear on this, that one outcome is that Comcast would – Start to do paid prioritization. Netflix, pay us. You'll go faster. Hmm. And then they'll have more money and then they'll take that money and instead of just like counting it as profit, they'll use it to make your prices lower, which is never going to happen. Like that is not the incentive structure of a publicly traded corporation at all. Well, I, it like, is.
1: Actually, no, that's not true. It is the incentive structure for a publicly traded corporation if they need to compete on that price.
0: Right. But if they don't, which they don't, <laughs> right? It's, it's sort of the, like you're right. So if, I think one thing that's really interesting is that there are four national wireless carriers. And just T-Mobile trying to be more competitive has made that market more competitive. One, comp- One actually competitive company, right? But that is not the case for – Spectrum in New York City. There are very few companies that can head up compete with Spectrum in New York City for wired. I've I've got
3: an optimum versus Fios fight in my neighborhood. Oh yeah? What's that like? A FIOS, a tangentially related person to Verizon. I do not think this is a Verizon employee, but somehow I believe he receives a commission (laughs) if I sign up for Fios. Yeah. And he's like an he's like into negging. He's like basically like shows up at my door and is like, your internet sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, I bet you can't. Can you interview this this person? I should. And I I um (laughs) maybe I'm not the strong emotionally solid person I like to believe I am but yeah. I got like mad <laughs> slammed the door because he called me a liar I what? said I got I said I got a certain amount of speed down and speed up and then he's like well why don't you benchmark it on the phone so I did the Google speed test on my phone and it was slower than what I said and he was like see it's that slow I was like this is not my typical experience with my service and he's like well that's what the phone says and so I closed the door <laughs> wow
1: that is right. crazy. So,
3: so I, I want to work towards a, a situation where he gives me a good discount on Fios and I can move over to Fios because it would be an upgrade. Yeah. But I don't have to lose my pride. Yeah. And he realizes that I'm a smart man. <laughs> and no. no Paul,
1: you need, you need to do the reverse neg. You need to neg right back,
3: mm. I think. You'd be like, you like, know, Verizon
0: keeps lessening its investment in fiber internet to the home. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about that? I don't know. Do so not think you should give me this should... for the long haul? Yeah. <laughs> Give me Fios before you lose your job. <laughs> That's <a good> point. <laughs> it's terrible. All right, so here's another one. Right. This is like the least controversial net neutrality rule of all. No one has ever disagreed with this. It's the transparency rule. Hmm. So if they're going to do stuff, they have to tell you. I don't know if anybody has ever disagreed with this rule. We seek comment on whether to keep, modify, or eliminate the transparency rule. When the commission adopted the transparency rule in 2010 and enhanced it in 2015, it found that effective disclosure of Internet service providers' network management practices, performance, and commercial terms of service promotes competition, innovation, investment, and user choice in broadband adoption. Yeah, that seems true. We continue to support these objectives and seek comment on whether the existing transparency rule is the best way to accomplish them or if there are other methods we can employ. I I just read that and what I see is what we're looking for is, Ev- like support in the record for us to not have these rules at all. And then, Dieter, I think this is to your point, right? This is, in my mind, how they're asking these questions really speaks to something deep. So here's one question about all four rules. Could the continued existence of these rules, the net neutrality rules, negatively impact future innovative pro-competitive business deals that would not by themselves run afoul of merger conditions or established antitrust law? That sounds fine, but it means... What Chairman Pai is trying to do is apply the boundaries of antitrust law to what the FCC does. That is not actually the FCC standard. That is the Federal Trade Commission standard. The FCC standard is the public interest. So if if he's saying I don't, I'm trying to go to a different legal methodology for evaluating these things, that is the house that is inside the house of a different agency. And that's exactly what he did with broadband privacy, right? He said the FTC is better at regulating privacy than the FCC. We're going to roll back this broadband privacy rule. I think this whole document, when I read all these questions together, what you get is the sense that, and this is what Gigi wrote on the site too, that they want to eliminate all the rules, eliminate all of the authority for the FCC to pass new rules, and then change the entire standard by which we evaluate these practices. Not from, are they in the public interest? Are they providing consumers with better service at lower prices? But would this run afoul of antitrust, which is a much radically higher standard for evaluating corporate behavior than the- And one that's
1: out of the FCC's domain in the first place, it's transferring stuff over to the FTC,
0: right? Right. So a good example here is Microsoft bundling Internet Explorer with Windows and locking out Netscape, like, ran afoul of antitrust law because they were tying things together. Comcast blocking BitTorrent doesn't live in that zone. But I would argue that most consumers who experienced that were unhappy about it, right? And the, the, the market of the internet was harmed by it in some way. So if you're going to say it has to reach that like Microsoft level, I that it cha- really changes. I know what you're saying.
3: I don't get that exact impression from the language. It sounds like are there any interesting opportunities on the table that are currently barred by these rules, mm-hmm. but but that don't go so far as to violate antitrust. Like, is there is there a, is a, what's in the gray area? Is there there a a zone in there where you feel like you could be more innovative and do more interesting things or make more money if we didn't have this rule uh, and we want to hear examples? Yeah. Uh, But we're not saying we're going to condone violating antitrust or fight the FTC. We just want to know of examples of business opportunities. Yeah. And so this comes back all the way to the first thing I was
0: saying, which is if – what. Jeep Pai was proposing to the to the American consumer was that it, just listen to me. I'm going to get rid of these rules and you are going to end up with 20 broadband internet service providers and they can do whatever they want and you can pick. I'd be like, yeah, I'm with you. Go crazy. Mm-hmm. I do not think that, that this leads to that. I think that this leads to the existing broadband providers getting richer, built, potentially building bigger networks, but through that process – actually becoming more powerful and less less responsive to competition. And I, I just think that this is in a danger zone, right? Where all of the only measure of success that you have is like how much money AT&T is spending to build out its network, which is his primary measure of success, capital expenditure. All you're measuring is like those companies getting bigger. You're not measuring new entrants into the market. You're not measuring head-up competition, Veri- uh, Verizon Fios versus uh, what, what was the other one you have?
3: I always forget if it's spectrum or optimum. Optimum.
0: optimum. I believe it's optimum. Yeah. Like that is actually kind of the measure. Like how many choices for wired broadband does the average American have? Hmm. If if that was the measure and we were saying, well, we passed the Title II rules and the average number of choices went down to one, I'd be like, ah, oh, that sucks. If we If we get rid of all these rules and we agree that the measure is going to be – Do the average American suddenly get two or three choices for wired broadband? That would be a very interesting promise because like we see in the mobile market, T-Mobile zero-rated one service, Verizon zero-rated two, T-Mobile zero-rated
3: three, and they all ended up at unlimited data plans because that's what consumers want. So I don't believe for the most part that the government has the power to effectively give users more choice or better prices what they do have is the power and, and usually the responsibility to stop consumer abuse mm-hmm. from companies, but I th- false but that's- advertising, like predatory practices, that kind of stuff.
0: Well, there's this other line here. Everything about these guys, by the way, is like, they all just remind me of like freshman dorm, like, it's just the tone of everything they write. Internet service – they're asking if internet service providers should be telecommunication service, which is the heart of the question. Internet service providers do not appear to offer telecommunications defined as the transmission between or among points specified by the user of information of the user's choosing without changing the form or content of the information as sent and received. That makes no sense. That is exactly what you think the internet does. But their argument is broadband internet users do not typically specify the points – in quotes – between and among which information is sent online. Instead, routing decisions are based on the architecture of the network, not consumer instructions. That is such a beyond, like, to me, that's beyond the abstraction of how all of us think of the internet. Like, I go to YouTube, I'm like, I would like YouTube to give me this video, not I want YouTube server 5 located in Mountain View to send me this video. I don't think anybody thinks of the internet that way. It, The whole idea of... How are we changing the standards by which we judge the conduct and how are we changing the language by which we describe the network? That to me is where I think they're avoiding the issue of does the FCC operate in the public interest? Like how should the internet work? How should the average American experience the internet? And if you don't have a lot of choices, then I I think we absolutely should make rules about what every internet service provider is required to provide you because lots of people only have one choice. And I don't see where that new competition is coming from. Space. Space. We're going to beam the internet to Dieter, I can see Dieter on the camera just staring off into space. I'm going to say something yeah. controversial. Yeah.
1: I actually, I've been thinking about this burden of proof thing. Yeah. And like, to me, all of these arguments, which get pretty wonky and technical, sort of boil down to, you know what? If we didn't have the rules, is anything bad going to happen? Probably not. If something bad happens, we'll deal with it. And we reflexively... Uh, or I reflect, I'd be like, uh, yeah, no, I don't trust you. One, because I do think something bad will happen. And two, I don't trust you or believe that you'll actually do something about it if something bad does happen. Um, but the controversial thing is like, you know what? Uh, if I am perfectly happy to try to have the burden of proof put on us that Uh, taking these regulations away could cause something bad to happen. Like that's fine. I don't, I actually don't know rhetorically that it should because we've already litigated this once, but if he wants to litigate it again and make us prove that if they take these rules away, something bad will happen. Um, fine. I mean, we'll do it. I think that that's a perfectly reasonable thing to be expected to do. I think it's not being done in a way that is like adheres to the principle of like charity and honest, you know, discussion and rhetoric, but nevertheless like the I think the thing that is actually like recoil like makes me recoil about this is that I don't trust that they're asking these questions in good faith, but I like if someone were asking these questions in good faith, I would very happily like have that discussion and so the the question is like, do we engage in the discussion about do if we take away net neutrality rules, will things go bad um do we like do we want to be like honest, even though it feels like they're asking these questions in a dishonest way. And like, I don't know, I I actually am less against being, (laughs) I don't know, the sucker who like honestly (laughs) answers a dishonest question. Like, that's fine.
0: Yeah, I disagree. (laughs) How do I phrase this? All of the big internet companies are now putting out marketing materials. They're like, we support the open internet. We believe Mm -hmm. in net neutrality. Mm -hmm. Just not title two. Pi has been out there. Th- this thing opens with, we believe in the open internet.
1: Yeah. By the way, open internet is an interesting phrase. It's a super interesting
0: phrase. Uh, it's better than closed internet. <laughs> yeah, whatever that <laughs> means. But you know, they're all out there saying that, right? Like, yep. we know you're worried about these behaviors, and we agree with you. They're not the right behaviors. And then this whole document, this whole, this whole document that seeks to put into the record evidence about what rules we should have, asks questions about whether those rules are needed, yep. right? So the, the starting point of the rhetoric is we agree that there should be no blocking of content on the internet. Straight up. The carriers have said it. The FCC has said it. This document says it. And then the next question is, that said, do we need, really need a rule that says you shouldn't block things on the internet? You could reverse that and you can say, well, if we all agree, then we're going to write this rule down and you're not going to do it and it's not a problem and it's not a cost for you. Well, it, I do I, – I don't know. I, like, I Do we I, need a rule that says we shouldn't murder people in America? Like we have a lot of those rules.
3: I we think, all know we shouldn't do it. I think these are good questions. I really do because, because I think it's important to understand exactly why we have a rule. Because I, I think – to make this a little more concrete and a yeah. little, little less theoretical, if you describe net neutrality five years ago – it would fairly obviously say that it's bad that T-Mobile makes some videos, 480p, but gives you an unlimited amount of them. Yeah. Or that some music services are free to stream, but not necessarily all of them. They have to have a, you know, a deal with T-Mobile. And I remember when that came out, it sounded pretty pretty shady and like this isn't going to work out. And T-Mobile is probably going to like pick winners and it's not going to be good. Instead, what I have now is a an un, an, uh, quote-unquote unlimited mobile internet connection. I haven't thought about my data cap in, ever since I, I switched over to it. Uh, the, 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 every once in a while, I'm bothered that the video that I'm watching on LTE is not perfectly HD. 99% of the time, I'm not, and I'm very happy with the situation. And so you know, going in, in, a, in a, an ideological way this is a thing that a company is doing that sounds against the spirit of a thing that I believe in, and then having experienced it practically, I think I'm fine with yeah. the current situation. And
0: I, I don't know. I, I think on this show, TC and I have like had the debate. Like I didn't, I don't know how to read T-Mobile's zero rating, mm-hmm. right? Like the way that they were doing it was really interesting. The way that AT and T and Verizon do it is not nearly as open, right. right? They're, they just straight up on cash mm-hmm. and everything else is slow and your thing is fast, right? Like that is how they operate their zero rating schemes. But those are different, right? And like when Tom Wheeler's FCC looked at these things, they explicitly said the way t Mobile's doing it doesn't appear to be a huge problem, but the way these other guys are doing it does appear to be a problem. And you can make that evaluation in the public interest. The other thing that I'll note, and I keep coming back to this, the mobile market is not super competitive, but it's way more competitive than the fixed broadband market, right? Like you, don't, you haven't had that experience between Fios and well, Optimum so, or Spectrum. So here, or
3: here's a fixed, fixed broadband theoretical. Uh, right now, a lot of consumer routers mm-hmm. do the throttling and prioritization. They sort of list uh, the ports that they're going to like – I'm going to always keep a little bit of bandwidth for VoIP – yeah, um, A little bit of bandwidth for Skype or something like that. Right now, I, who configure, no, 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 my, it's my roommate's router. I have my own router and it works fine, <laughs> but it's, it's it's leeching off my roommate's router. Oh, my God. Did you double-nat your roommate's router? It's terrible. Um, <laughs> All right. So, like, right now. I think I know in, why your internet in, sucks. In oh. my apartment, if someone starts downloading something on Steam, yeah. you can't load a, a website. right. Like it's it just sort of it just breaks because Steam takes all the bandwidth and it's not you know, our our traffic isn't shaped and it should be shaped by us with a better router. Yeah. Um but or you could just get, one router or, work, or, that works or just properly. Like one, well it's a long apartment. <laughs> we need to. You know what? Don't worry about it. I'm gonna get you an Eero. Thank you. Um but the uh, an ISP could Offer this service, quote unquote, like, hey, we'll shape your traffic, we'll prioritize for you, yeah, uh, and we but think so they're gonna like it inside of the old net
0: neutrality rules. That was in there, reasonable network management practices as long as they're transparently disclosed, super okay. Like, there, there wasn't a like the ISPs were like, look, we need to be able to do this, and the rules were ref- they reflect that. I I just think the difference is, what if there was a rule saying you couldn't have your own router on that network? What if the ISP said, we'd love to give you a lower price, but you've got to rent this exact router from us? Like, that runs afoul of the no locking idea. What if they say, we're going to give you cheap Wi-Fi, but you have to buy a, a mobile phone from us? That runs afoul, right? Like, what if they say, only certified, we'll give you the fastest possible bandwidth,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but only certified devices connect, can connect to your home network? That is exact. That takes us all the way back to AT&T, saying we're, we're going to sell you the phones ourselves. And the FCC acted in that case and said, no, people should be able to connect whatever they want to your network. We're just in that zone. And what scares me about these questions, I think, Dieter, this is kind of what you're talking about, like these are great questions. They are fantastic thought starters for us to sit around in a coffee shop or bar and talk about. They are not great questions to completely reset the public policy of like billions of dollars of infrastructure investment in america
3: and it sounds like the question both of you have is is fcc abdicating a responsibility yeah. to consumer protection
0: yeah because that is their charter right to operate in the public interest and i i look at this and in
3: there's and, there's and another
0: whole thing here which we don't have time to do we got all kinds of other stuff to do <laughs> actually fun things to talk about. But there's a whole other thing here where the FCC is not allowed to, like, whipsaw, right? They have to... Regulatory agencies are required to, like, maintain some stability. That would be nice. Um, so they're not allowed to just capriciously change their mind when there's Democrats or Republicans. So Pi has to prove to a court, because there's inevitably going to be a legal challenge. It's has to prove to a court that the market conditions have changed such that this policy is... It's required for him to change it. Mm. And two, that he went into this rulemaking... With that, with an open mind, that his mind wasn't already made up. Hmm. On the first, it's you know Harry. He's you know like people are going to argue about whether network investment is up or down. There's a lot of evidence on both sides. Actually, um, I think there's more evidence on the. I think the fact that the CEOs of these companies all told their investors that everything was fine and like all full steam ahead, while they all thought Hillary was going to win, is like pretty indicative of the fact that it wasn't a big problem. And then he's got to prove that his mind isn't already made up. And he's running around. He, he kicked off this process by saying, this is a fight we're going to win. And it's like, so you, your mind was made up. So we'll see. Anyway, Dieter, I wanted to talk about your definition of the web, but I think we should probably do some fun stuff.
1: It's too late, yeah. How, you know, you know what's oh, how heavy can we go man. today? You, you know what's fun? Yeah. Vegetables. I
3: <sighs> want to talk about the web.
0: All right. Well, let's do, let's do this for the – we're going to go long today. I'm just telling the listener we're going long today. Wherever you were driving in your car, take the long way. Whatever clothes you're ironing, iron some more. Double irons. Okay. So a lot of you people out there, for chess listeners, my favorites, people deepest in my heart, tweeted at me and said what you wanted was Vlad. I did that for you. Vlad was in New York, did not tell me why, but I love seeing him. I know why. Why was he here? He's taking photos of headphones.
1: (laughs) What else does he do? Anyway, look. I mean, you got to do that in New York. Come
2: on.
0: I brought him into the studio yesterday while he was here and we recorded... The Vlad Savov lightning round. So I'm going to read this ad. Then you're going to get a pure dose of Vlad. Then we're going come back. We're talking about some fun stuff. It's going to be great. This episode of the Virgcast brought to you by The Art of Shaving. What is the secret of Well groomed Guy? The Art of Shaving. Founded in New York in 1996, The Art of Shaving has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. The Art of Shaving has your total routine covered. Whether it's shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients, featuring pure, essential oils. The four elements of the Perfect Shave have been created to deliver smooth results every day. Start by prepping skin with their signature pre-shave oil, then create a thick, foamy lather with shaving cream, applied with a shave brush, shave, and then replenish all that moisture with their aftershave balm. Finish off the Perfect Shave with one of the five new fragrances, Sandalwood and Cypress, Oud Suede, which is my favorite, Vetiver Citron, Green Lavender, or Coriander and Cardamom. Each cologne has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Air of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service that allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry. So, Verge listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping by using promo code VERGE. To get this offer, go online to theartofshaving.com, enter that special promo code VERGE, get 15% off your first order and free shipping. So, once again, Visit theartofshaving.com, enter promo code VERGE, or if you want to have a consultation with a grooming expert, step into one of the many retail locations near you. VergeCast listeners, I have a special alert. Vlad Sabov is in the New York office. He's sitting across from me in the podcasting room. Now, as you know, last week I issued a call on the VergeCast for new podcast ideas. I specifically said you can't just ask for Vlad. I want show ideas. Many of you failed to heed these instructions and just asked for Vlad. So here he is. He's right in front of me. How's it going, Vlad? Hello. So we're just going to do, do five minutes inside the mind of Vlad Savov. You ready for this? I think so. What are you doing in New York? Because I, I don't know. He's just looking at me. He's smiling.
2: So my boss doesn't know I'm in New York. This is, <laughs> this is dangerous. We, we could tell people that it was fulfilling their request, right? He just and showed up. And just warm their hearts (laughs) that will listen. Uh, The truth is, I came over to San Francisco, to the Bay Area, to do Google I.O. So I showed our photos for the live blog. I hung out with Dieter, and then Dieter said, Go to New York. I listened. Yeah. And I turned up here. I will describe the trip as a reverse Santa Claus trip, essentially. So, you know how Santa Claus goes around the world and drops off presents for people? I've done exactly the opposite. I've come with no luggage at all, just empty bags, and I'm just picking up gadgets. Yeah. Right. So, what I have done is, I've come from California, where you have a ton of really fascinating but small-scale headphone companies mm-hmm. who, when they ship me stuff, there's all these customs issues that we need to get through, and nobody at customs understands that review unit can go back to the United States, and you don't yeah. need to pay taxes, whatever. It's a mess. So I just pick things up myself. We We, <laughs> we shot, I don't know, thousands and thousands of photos here in the New York office with a yeah. professional photo team. So that saves me having to do it myself when I'm back in London. And now I am set with a billion gadgets, mostly headphones, that I have to review over the next couple of months. All right. What do you, what do you got? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, well, I've got the Biodynamic Zalento, uh, which may be supposed to be pronounced Xalento.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> which Don't would do be awesome. To <laughs> uh,
2: I would tease them about it, but actually they are really fantastically good in-ear headphones. Yeah. They cost a $1,000. I also have the Fender fxa 9 which nobody seems to be aware of. Even Fender have been horrible at publicizing the fact that they exist. Are, you showed these to me. They're in-ears. They're like silicon molded, right? Yeah, they're kind of like custom ones, but not custom. They yeah. say that they fit something like 95% of people's ears. Uh, those cost $1,200. So just like Top Gear, I'm giving really hardcore consumer advice you know, for daily purchases, <laughs> weekly purchases. Uh, but, but here it is, like a little preview. The Fender's $200 more than the biodynamics, but they don't sound anywhere near as good. Yeah. So I could actually make a viable argument for why you would spend $1,000 on in headphones or the biodynamics and then just say, okay, I'm done spending yeah. money on that category of device. Yeah. I would just fall in love with these headphones because you can do that. The Fender's not so much. They have a very particular tuning, which some people might love, but I feel most people won't. Yeah. Uh, so that's in-ears. Uh, I also picked up a pair of Shure SE 545 in ears as well, which are from 2014. Yeah. Like, I think the the pair that I, the review pair that I have was made in 2014, <laughs> and it just kept it in storage. So that's
0: like Shure's way. They keep one model forever, right? Yeah.
2: Well, you say that funny enough, but it's called SE because it's a second edition. Oh. And what it did, Shure usually are really purists about their sound. But what it did was people asked them, the same way that our listeners ask for me, and then here I am. Uh, people asked them, we Say need the more bass. Say the magic word. Tweet Vlad
0: three times, he shows up in New York.
2: Exactly. Do it every week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so people said, we need more bass. So what yeah. she did, okay, we'll give you a second edition of the 545s in here. And that bass that they have is just gorgeous. Like, it's not too much. Yeah. They didn't, like, go over the top. They didn't go into beast territory. But it's just to the point where I feel like I love it and I want more. Yeah. And it's because they're not giving it to me that I love them even more. I see. They tease me. Yeah. Okay, this is my relationship with technology. Absence
0: makes the heart grow fonder. The exactly. absence of the deepest
2: base. Right. Well, they go deep. Yeah. Like, they have extension. It's just, the quantity is just right to where I always want more. Yeah. And that that is how a good relationship should go, personal or with technology. And finally, this is the most exciting thing. The Astro & Kern Can, K-A-N-N. Yeah. It's another $1,000 product. And when I present it to people nowadays... They are like, what is it? Well, you showed it to me yesterday. I freaked out. Yeah. First question is, what is it? Uh, Second question is, who is it for? It is a portable media player. They still exist. Yeah. Okay. But it it is two inches thick. It has two headphone jacks. It has two SD card slots, two USB ports. So it has USB-C and micro USB. Full SD and micro SD. And it has 64 gigabytes of storage on board. It is a massive, beautiful thing. And it has this volume rocker. Which you were even asking me, hang on, is that a fake sound that it's making? But no, it has a mechanical thing where you roll it. It's a loud
0: mechanical click when you twirl it. It, It's fantastic. It's not a rocker.
2: You're right. It's like
0: a a cylinder of ridged metal that is just excellent to touch and hand. It's good mechanical input devices are league of their own. This is like on a, it's basically the world's ultimate
2: iPod. Yeah. Right? Uh, Ultimate in every respect. Okay ultimate in terms of size, <laughs> ultimate in terms of ergonomics, because it also has physical keys. Um, yeah. And that's the other thing, again, purism about this. The, everything else, the back button is a back button. Here is it's just rewind, okay? <laughs> you, you're trying to physical. tap it. It's I did Cause, this. Because the thing runs Android, and you're like, that's a back button. You, yeah. and you're trying to tap it, and, you, and your music changes. And you're like, why isn't it going back in the interface? <laughs> <laughs> so it has a rewind and a fast-forward, hard buttons, a play button, a home button, that's it. So all physical controls. Okay, first of all, the Android—I think it's something like Android five point something. Yeah, custom version of it. It is slow as sin. Yeah. Okay, and the display is not of a high quality. But that's the trouble again with smaller companies—they can't source the high. Uh, well, they don't sell as many devices, so they can't source the high uh, cost OLED displays and so on. So that's a shame. I mean, if somebody uh, like Samsung wanted to build a device like this and put an OLED screen on this, I would just gosh over I mean I love it as it is and again when people see it they're like but it's so huge and does it even fit in a pocket it fits in a pocket yes the difference with it is when you actually plug in a good pair of headphones again that thing with the biodynamic Zelentos, I, I put those on when I was in our San Francisco office I sat down and I, I was just anchor to my seat. It didn't even matter what music I was listening to. I'm listening to MP3s because as far as I'm concerned, if I don't hear the difference just listening to basic MP3s, mm-hmm. it isn't that much of an audio upgrade. Yeah. Right. I'm not paying $1,000 for something that will make me chase around for FLAC files and whatever else. I want just the basic immediately accessible upgrade for that sort of price. And I'm literally just anchored to my seat. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm not getting up. Like, I've got work to do. Uh, I can't. <laughs> I could Okay? the way I describe it is it's kind of like an accordion with a sound stage so the way you listen to your music is like right around your nose let's say or around mm-hmm. your eyes and then this thing just expands it and a bit of audiophile jargon here is holographic where everything is three dimensional around you so you don't hear just left and right stereo you hear like a zigzag where the music yeah. goes forwards and backwards and so on and I'm just yeah it's, it's terrific it really is terrific and again everybody asks me after they find out what it is they're like oh people still make those yeah uh, the second question is, who is it for? And I can't give you a solid answer other than to say, as a gift, this would be terrific. <laughs> for the person who has everything, you buy but, them the world's but most you complicated know, MP3 player. Many of us are that person in terms yeah. of gadgets. Like, if you bought me a laptop, I'd just shrug and be like, okay, I'll add it to my other ones. Yeah. If you bought me a phone, I'd be like, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> it's like buying me socks
0: at this stage. All right. Let's switch to phones. Phones. Because you, I mean, again, it's a lightning round. And when I say we, we are going deep into Vlad's brain, what you just heard was unadulterated feed of headphone information. That's, what it's, that's Vlad. That's where he's at. Nowadays. But the other side is phones. You have deep thoughts on phones. You recently wrote a thing called Google is Boring, or It's Time for Google to be Boring. What's going on in the Android world? What, what are your thoughts? You you probably use between you and Dan, you probably switch between more Android phones than any other people I know. Give course. me give me your layer of the land on the Android side. Uh,
2: well, the Android side is the Pixel. I think the Pixel continues to be underrated by most people. Yeah. And I was just having a chat with somebody from Samsung recently and he asked me why people why so why are people so religious about the pixel? What is it about the phone besides the camera? And I said, There is nothing besides the camera. Yeah. Nobody's religious about the pixel as a device. It isn't great in terms of industrial design. It's batteries and special? It's audio, I will tell you, is terrible. Yeah. I refuse like the biodynamics and lentils, I do not plug them into the pixel. <laughs> it is sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is like <laughs> The greatest argument for why Apple removed the headphone jack. It's like, wow. I'd rather you just remove the headphone jack instead of giving me this garbage. Really? It's speaker is bad, audio out of the headphones is bad. Is the Bluetooth bad when you pair a Bluetooth headphones to it? No, Bluetooth is fine. Oh, oh, good good example. It's fine unless you cup the glass bit at the back of the pixel. Really? And it just cuts everything off. Wow. Total death grip for connectivity. Yeah. And and this is Why isn't wo-
0: that on our website?
2: We got a whole website. For stories like that. Literally, the moment this is posted, it will be on our <laughs> website, okay? So, there you go. <laughs> you're wrong. For <laughs> once, okay? Once. One time, the and is was wrong. And we made an achievement. I
0: think for a there's many other times.
2: But uh, I will say, uh, no, you're you not giving yourself enough credit. You're, you're like me. You're right, like, 99.9% of the time. Yeah, but they find that .1. And I thank them for it. <laughs> it, it, it gives the rest of us some opportunity to speak. <laughs> the Pixel, to me, is just a standout smartphone. Of any kind, okay? iPhone as well. I, I could go to the iPhone 7 today. You know, I have one in my bag. As my backup phone is an iPhone yeah. 7. But the camera of the Pixel is just exceptional. It takes photos I can't take with any other phone. So that's it for me. That is the big decision maker. Then you have the Galaxy S8, which is, for the vast majority of people, the perfect phone. It, it is terrific. Like, its design is so good. Its performance, its display. I, I mean, I can't... It's, it's camera just isn't as good as the Pixel, but that's it. You have Samsung, you have Google, and I do feel like they have just distinguished themselves on a higher tier than they, everybody else. Then you have guys like OnePlus who keep doing really good things. Industrial design-wise, they just kicked out this old black version of the OnePlus 3T, which is just extremely gorgeous. I mean, yeah. uh, massive battery insider as well. I would definitely use that if I wasn't using the Pixel. They just partnered up, I think, with famous camera company to improve their yeah. cameras. I think they, they partnered up with the yeah, the, the guys who did the benchmark. So that, that is, again, promising for OnePlus. Honestly, Android is kind of a... It's a, it's in a weird situation because the biggest sellers, the, the companies that are growing the most are Chinese and mm-hmm. have firmly focused on the Chinese market. So Vivo and Oppo, the fourth and fifth biggest smartphone manufacturers, have doubled their sales over the past year. But almost all of it is either in China or in nearby countries in that area, and they just don't make their way out here west. Where, as I say, it's Samsung, it's Google now with the Pixel, and really the only other company that I have faith in is LG. Yeah, like uh, around this time last year, I wrote an Android death watch, and the people, the people, the companies on, on the list were HTC, LG, and Sony, and just today. We reported that, well, it's going to be a couple of days ago once we post this, but whatever, Sony's cutting off its mid-range phones to focus on its flagship devices, which You know my way of rephrasing the headline is Sony is discontinuing its mid-range phones to focus on discontinuing its flagship phones. Yeah, it's a dead end with Sony, and I I feel like that's the same way with HTC, which is a damn shame because I've loved HTC for the longest time. But they're not showing anything positive. Like everybody else is moving to no bezels, HTC is like, no, we're fine. We'll have massive bezels on our phones. (laughs) And you know know how the iPhone doesn't have a headphone jack, and nobody's in love with that as a feature. We're going to keep doing that. Yeah, I don't know what HTC does except not make enough pixels. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, my my working theory is that HTC only sells like a dozen phones every month, mm-hmm. and then Google said, "Guys, we're going to do a phone. Can you cover this for us?" And HTC were like, "Yeah, we got this." But guys, it's going to be a really popular phone. It's going to be the first Google phone. Can you cover it for us? It's going to be a big order. And then HTC thought, "Oh, so big order, so like twenty phones month. We can <laughs> cover it." <laughs> and, and, and nobody like sat down and communicated the whole. We need to produce a ton of these to satisfy demand. Like the Pixel's biggest problem is that not being able to produce it properly.
0: Yeah. All right, so end of lightning round. What is your biggest obsession right now? What, what do you, What's the next thing that Vlad is obsessed with? Well, I'm, I'm still stuck on headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you. Well, no, actually, let me ask you this. Before, before There's a thing wait, that you just talked about headphone jacks. You, amongst our entire staff, were like, this is fine. The future of headphones is digital interconnect. Are you still there?
2: Uh, well, I didn't say the future is digital interconnect. I, I saw the benefits of it. Yeah. I saw the potential of it, but nobody... Aside from, like I say, these more niche and boutique companies who are doing their own lightning cables, and sure, the company I yeah. mentioned is doing it, Odyssey led the way last year. A bunch of them are doing lightning cables, and when they integrate uh, the digital-to-analog converter in the lightning cable, and when they integrate amplifiers into that, they just automatically make the sound better. They don't depend on the iPhone to produce good sound for their headphones. So I see the potential. It would be great if Apple were the ones who were embracing it. It would be great if the hardware manufacturers like Sony yeah. right, are pushing that. But Sony is actually pushing for better Bluetooth audio, which, again, I don't mind. You know, if, if they make Bluetooth audio work brilliantly, the way that Apple makes it with a W1 chip, I'm not going to complain, mm-hmm. right? I'm not somebody who just wants a wire for the sake of a wire. I want it for the sake of the quality. If you can do the quality without the wire, then I'm all thumbs up about it. But I will say, okay, the reason I am stuck on headphones is because unlike phones, there is just... An endless diversity with headphones. You know, to me, I have to do this. It's like vegetables. No, oh my okay? God. Nobody knows how much diversity there is. What is your favorite vegetable? Oh, tough, tough question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's really thinking. I want you to know that he looked down and spinach. has lost. Spinach. There we go. Spinach. Two years ago, it was carrots. That's correct. I've moved on. All right. Important flat update. We've moved on from carrots to spinach.
2: But seriously, with phones, you you see all these lines which are just parallel lines among every company. Yeah. Right? You can't break out of phones like with this Aston and Kern can, which is like two and a half inches. I've literally shown it to a phone designer. And he's like, dude, I would love to put one of these volume clicky things in my device. But, like, his device is, like, tiny. Yeah. It's a piece of paper. So, he has no room for it. Right? So... Phones have a lot of things which just have to be a certain way and you can't break out of it. With audio, with headphones, people are doing these alien designs and every single one of them is slightly different yeah. in some particular way. It's almost like a fingerprint. So it's really, really hard for you to just grow bored with headphones Yeah, or
0: vegetables. Spinach.
2: Have you tried, have you tried the W1 headphones? Are you an
0: AirPods person? I
2: have. Um, I am not myself an AirPods person, mm-hmm. but I totally see the benefit of them and everybody who's using them, you just psyched and loves them so I can see the I can see the point. Listen, if you're listening to podcasts, if you're mm-hmm. listening to radio, meditation, whatever, I'm sure that's great. Me, I'm I want, like I was saying, the extra bass with the shoes and yeah. whatever else. I'm about that music quality. It's perfectly fine for people to prioritize different things. Um I've used the W one with the beats, Solar Freeze. Yeah. With an iPhone. And that that stuff is just stupid how good it is. Yeah. Right? Just in terms of range, keeping it always connected, never dropping out. It's super impressive. Like every single phone, like if everybody's doing that with Bluetooth, okay, then we can, you and I can stop whinging about the lack of headphone jacks. Yeah. But that's not the case really so far.
0: We'll see. Sony is pushing, right? They're contributing code to Android now to make Bluetooth mm-hmm. better. We'll see. All right. This is Vlad freeform time. You get to say one thing. Tell the Vergecast audience one thing that they need to know from Vlad low carb diets are the future. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was truly I want you to know, that was a complete top to bottom Vlad experience. You all of it is there. You got it. We'll we'll try to get him to show up in New York randomly and do this more often. That's it. Vlad out. Say Vlad out.
2: Vlad out. There it is.
0: Flat out. Vlad out. But we're we're back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was Vlad. We'll do more Vlad. That was supposed to be five minutes and I'm reliably told that I was in fact 17 minutes of Vlad. <laughs> Also, the fact that we covered everything from, like, Android fragmentation in China to spinach being better than carrots. I don't know that I can give you a more pure Vlad experience every week. I don't know that, <laughs> that you can handle it as a listener. But I love that man. Anyway, let's talk about some fun stuff. Yeah.
1: Spinach. More spinach. We're
3: not going to talk about the web, is what you're saying. <sighs> did Dieter did a whole thing in the, the definition of the web? If we're not going to talk about it, I just think everybody should read it because I feel like it's just <laughs> – it's just what The Verge was made for. Yeah. It's, it's to, to draw the, the, the sort of person to, to to a place on the internet yeah. to have a discussion about something like this that's very important to us.
0: I can read this in podcast ad style. Do you care about the future of the web? Mm-hmm. Are you interested in the nerdiest topics about what the web is? Go to my website, theverge.com, and enter offer code Dieter. <laughs>
3: 20% off pure knowledge.
0: <laughs> the title of
1: this article is And Now, a Brief Definition of the Web, which is a weird way to start a headline. Yeah. And now. Uh, but I did it so that anytime anybody from now on needs to. Uh, complain about the death of the web or talk about how Google AMP or Facebook Instant Articles or whatever the hell is coming next is like undercutting the web. We can just end every article with a link that says, and now, a brief definition of the (laughs)
0: web. (laughs) It's great.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. We
0: need one of those permanent sidebars that we can do now. Yeah. 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 We could do this. It's a new course feature. We just make a sidebar and you can put it in any post you want forever. (laughs) Thinking about it. Anyway, fun stuff. Gadgets. 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 Paul, you run a gadget blog. I try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, some big gadgets. Microsoft had a whole other Surface event. Surface
3: yeah. Pro. The not Surface, a 5. Not 5.
0: Can I say Panos Pene trolling the entire internet by being like, there's no Surface Pro 5? Okay. And here- then putting out new Surface Pro is like kind of great.
3: Here's my big yeah. question with this. So they're claiming 13 and a half hours of battery life. Yeah. Par- partly due to Kaby Lake. Yeah. But also partly due to Windows. Yeah. So how much did they do in hardware versus how much did they do in software? Which is the theoret- I mean, it's good. Every every laptop gets benefits of the software improvements. Well, are there, there KB Lake chipset
0: features that need to be optimized by Windows?
3: No, it's just Windows. Not, not that I know of.
1: Yeah. I mean, you should also note that they are claiming outsized battery life for the Surface laptop in particular because it's running Windows 10 S, which means it's limited to stuff from the Windows store. Yeah. They want to use that There's use a Edge. bunch of crap that is like legacy Windows stuff that can like break your battery life. So to me, I mean, I have so many th- feelings about the Surface Pro. Um, I'm very curious to see how this thing handles Chrome. Um, I'm very curious to see how this thing handles other legacy Windows apps besides um, Edge. And it's also notable, I think, that Microsoft's battery life claims are based strictly on like streaming video or looping video, which is a radically different test than we do. It's a radically different test than a lot of people do. And it could just be that those battery life claims are pegged to optimizations against video it's not like it's not dissembling to base a battery test on video it's a perfectly normal thing to do but you need to test these batteries up against a multitude of factors not just something that it happened windows happens to have been optimized against
3: because video has a sp- uh, like there's special chips that yeah. are only for decoding video that well it's are-
0: interesting like years and years ago running video in your laptop was the thing that killed the battery the fastest and mm-hmm. now it is yeah. the thing that will make the battery run the longest because yeah. they've done so much hardware optimization around it. Um, um,
1: but you I, want to talk about trolling from Panos Panay? Let's yeah. talk about his comments on USB-C. Wait, wait, wait. before <laughs> uh, I, before we go there, because so that's
0: that's great. But also, they're not. They have a whole family of Surface devices now, right? They have yep. a desktop, they have a laptop, they have the Surface Pro. They're not calling the Surface Pro a tablet anymore. They're calling it a laptop.
3: Well, they're yeah. wrong.
0: They're just out there being like, it's a lap- uh, Sure, it's a laptop which I think is fascinating.
1: You think they're doing that to screw with like IDC and their like way that they calculate PC sales?
0: That is an interesting conspiracy theory that I now wholeheartedly sub- subscribe <laughs> Whoa. to. Whoa. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. That <laughs> is what I think. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the 12 Surface Pros they sell a year are going to really bump that number up. I want to um,
3: I want to like create like a special pair of pants <laughs> with like with like ridges right above the kneecaps that's designed to you know, because, you know that little flap that comes out of a surface, yeah that is bad for laps now it slots into the pants ridges, and now it's super great for laps, Ooh. right, mm. yeah, well you get custom, on that I could get it in the Microsoft store this really is the
0: complete verge experience right, now. <laughs> <laughs> like forty minutes of net neutrality, and then Paul being like, "I want custom tablet pants." <laughs> Laptop pants. <laughs> yeah, it's a laptop uh, pants.
1: The other thing I'm excited about with the Surface Pro is that there's a, a Core i5 version that is fanless. Um, and the fan on the, I've got a Surface Pro 4 that I you know break out every now and then, does spin up more than I'd like. Um, and I love having a fanless computer, so I'm using the, the new MacBook. Uh, the idea that I could have something, more, like not just a Core M processor, but a proper Core i5 and have it be fanless is very intriguing to me. It is yeah.
3: definitely the Core i5.
1: Yes. What's interesting because is they, oh god, what if I'm wrong?
3: <laughs> because remember when it, this is why I was so mad about this because I knew it was going to make our jobs harder.
1: Oh, that they like it's they call it a Core i5. Yeah, it's Intel
3: rebranded it, some of its Core M processors as yeah, yeah with uh, the the Core M Wink and Nod yeah. <laughs> series.
0: Uh, you know in the the service pro no, video it's Core
1: M3 and Core. I'm pretty sure it's a proper Core i5.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, in the video. They, when they, you know, Microsoft makes these, like, beautiful videos for all their new products. I love them. I think they're, like, the most fun to watch. But yeah. in the video where they're introducing a new Surface Pro, uh, they, like, they're, like, no more fan. And they, like, do, like, the fade wipe to remove the fan. But then it fade wipes back in, and it's, like, an LTE chipset. Mm. And it's, like, really? That's, what you, that's cool. <laughs> I'm into that. I love, uh, I, I've never understood why Apple doesn't put wireless chipsets in their computers. Yeah, the, the Surface it's Pro annoying. has a wireless chipset, beautiful. Yep. Also,
1: in one of those, either that or the Surface Laptop, I think it's for this one, they use the same B-roll of, like, uh, diamonds, like, shooting into the sky in a dome that Movies with Mikey uses in his uh, intros to
0: his uh, YouTube videos. Hey. It's a fun fact. Okay, talk about USB-C. Because it, <laughs> I, I, like, whatever <laughs> no. Microsoft is doing with USB-C right now is very confusing. Uh, so we know they didn't put it
1: in the Surface Laptop. We now know they haven't put it in the Surface Pro. Um And I have been pointing out that literally everybody else that matters in the industry is trying to push this future forward. Intel just made licensing for Thunderbolt chips free. They're going to build it into future versions of their CPUs. Apple's pushing it. Google's pushing it. Samsung is pushing it. Huawei, everybody's pushing it. But Microsoft is like, nope, not for us. It's not ready. Um, And uh, so Tom Warren uh, obviously asked Panos Panay about it. And he said, I love the technology in Type-C. I believe in Type-C. When Type C is ready for our customers to make it easy for them, we'll be there, which I don't know, that's a little bit mean to your customers. Maybe yeah. like they've got this line that like customers like they, they've seen customers with type C devices like plug in a phone charger and they think the phone charger should charge their device and it doesn't, and then they're sad. Like I don't know, man, Are it's a really
3: low opinion of your customers. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but then my favorite, <laughs> if you love Type C, it means you love dongles. Yeah, we're going to give a dongle to people who love dongles. Yes. like the like we're not going to participate in like helping this future happen. We're going to stay with the stuff that people know and understand. Uh, But you know what? Screw it. We'll make a dongle because why not? I don't understand how he calls it a dongle, not an adapter. It's amazing. I'm so happy that Microsoft is doing this. It's just the best troll. How does this thing work? It is a. I haven't seen a picture of it, which is super annoying. So, it's supposed to plug into
0: the surface connector, right?
1: Correct. I think it's a
0: surface connector, and then it's just got like an empty USB port on it. An empty USB C port? Yeah. Does it operate at the full bandwidth of C? Uh, Yeah, but I don't know if it'll support Thunderbolt. Right. So, because the service. Because otherwise, the surface connector is like the shit. Yeah, it does a bunch of stuff. But I don't. I, like I just don't know how that works. Like I've been. I mean, you
1: can you can or you can plug a full hub into a Surface connector, right? Like, yeah. there Microsoft is really keen on its Surface Hub, which is like got like crazy Display Ports and high bandwidth USB C, blah, blah 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 blah. And you just like plug in the little magnetic th- wing on the Surface yeah. connector, and you get all that stuff. So, like the connector. So is that like a PCI? Microsoft's proprietary bus? thing is yeah. It's I don't know what it is technically, but yeah. like it's got the bandwidth and it could do the stuff. And so theoretically. Like you should be able to get most of the benefits of USB-C through this dongle. The question is like, is the dongle any good? How is it constructed? Does it Here's strike? what I
0: want: I want a keyboard for the Surface Pro. Yeah. An actual keyboard, uh-huh. with a, maybe a little battery in it. That's always nice. And uh-huh. Some USB-C slots plugs in the Surface Pro. There you go.
1: So that's that's Logitech. That's, I just gave it to you. No, no, but that's a different connector. The surface connector is the actual fan wing power thing. The, yeah. the the keyboard connector is a different thing, and I don't know if you can transfer that much data through the keyboard connector.
0: No, I'm saying you, whatever. Let the keyboard do that. But then you just have a little USB C bus and a little power. Yeah. And click it on the side.
1: That's interesting.
0: Logitech, Belkin. How's it going? Bring it, My boys. <laughs> Logi and Belks. <laughs> no, they're called Maji now. They're, they're accessories. Oh, shoot. They are. Oh, God. I hope Belkin doesn't change its name to Belks. <laughs> Belks. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: they have this really bad, awkward, like, hip-hop-based campaign.
0: No. All right. Yo, yo, DJ Belks. <laughs> no, no, you went there.
3: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, Lodgy and Belks are like, you're like a British thug, and yeah. those are your two enforcers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Logie Belks,
0: <laughs> getting in Don't go through everyone. <laughs> All right. Uh, more gadgets. This is awesome. I got to see this in action today. Uh, DJI put out the Spark drone. It's $500. It's just a little guy. It's like the center of it is smaller than an iPhone. Obviously a little bit thicker. It's got a camera. It's got four little wings. It folds up. It's real tiny.
1: I, see, I hear it weighs about the same as a can of Coke.
0: Yeah. But no, here's how you control it. Did you see this today when Ben was trying it out? Oh, I
1: didn't
3: watch it, though.
0: So you you don't, you don't can fly it with an app on the phone. You can buy a controller, but you don't need any of that stuff. You just double-click the power button and hold it in your hand, and it takes off. And then you take a step back, and you hold out your hand, and it just it finds your face and it finds your hand. And it just follows your hand around. It's like you're flying the drone with the force. Yeah. It is so cool. Um, And then to have it take a picture, you just put your fingers together in, like, the classic director framing. Like, your other hand, you make a little (sighs) rectangle with your your thumb and your forefinger. uh, Oh, I guess it's audio. It's an audio show. So you do that, (laughs) and then you put your hands down, and then it takes, like, four pictures. Wow. And then if you're outside, you can, like, fling your hands out and like, fly really far away. Take a picture. You know this.
3: This made me think. So there's a. It's so cool. I believe it's an MIT. I should. I'll try to find out for sure. But um, there's a a, some college did a a, like a research project where they you could program drones to get you a type of shot. Yeah. Because like there's like storyboarding and there's like the the language of film. It's like there's close ups. There's like wides and there's like. Two shots, like, where, you know... So, like, you tell it in advance how you want it to frame people. And it will move around automatically trying to keep that frame, even while people are moving, while also yeah. not bumping into... And it's just, like... Because we already have some smarts in our phones that, like, try to, like... You know, like, you, you take a bunch of pictures and you get r- rid of the ones when people are blinking or something like that in automatic, you know, light detection. But, like, having, having intelligence... Make framing better. As someone who personally cannot frame a photo to save his life, is very exciting to me. I like this idea. I'll find out who actually did it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, but DJI does a lot. All the drone manufacturers do that now in some way. Like, what's happening with drones is they have got the cameras in the air, right? And now the cameras, and they've added lots of cameras. Now the cameras are flying the drone, right? And they all do like computer vision to do cooler and cooler things. And now they've just gotten to the point where you don't even need a controller of any kind. The drone will just follow you around. The, like it literally detects your hand in the air, and when you put your hand down, the lights turn red and just stays where it is until you put your hand up again. The lights turn green and it starts following your hand again. Dude, it's wild. I, I what I think is most interesting about this is like we just spent the first however long of this show talking about competition. DJI has no competition, <laughs> but they act like they're <laughs> hey, there's unique. There's like yeah, there's other companies. Like, yeah, GoPros. Like we have drones. They just fall down. Like DJI acts like it's hunted. Yeah. Like they are a company on the run. They're like, whatever, here's another one. It's smaller. We added more software features. We're doing all this stuff. And unique, and you know, Unique has like a big investment from Intel. They got a Real Sense camera.
3: It's GoPro. They're trying.
0: <laughs> they're trying. Right. But like there are other companies out there, but their DJI is just so far ahead of the market and they just keep going and going and going, which I think is awesome. Like there are a few companies that I think run that fast and have taken – I think when we first started talking about drones, we all th- thought of like the Phantom. Like I have a Phantom 4. Mm-hmm. It is great. I love it. It's super fun to use. But it's like huge and bulky and like you got to manage all kinds of batteries and whatever. Now this thing is literally the size of a phone. The Mavic is basically the Phantom in a much smaller package. They're just making them more and more and more consumer friendly in a way that – I think very other few companies are keeping up with. It's mm-hmm. – I don't know. Like I think this is the moment when regular people start to have drones in a way that they just start using them all the time. And that like unlocks the next set of things versus – you know, I think we ran that post on like Christmas Day two years ago that was just like dad's crashing phantoms. Cause they're like relatively hard to fly. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like anybody can have this thing and it follows your hand around and takes pictures. That's going to, it's going to change stuff. Okay. It was MIT. I was right at first. You got it. Nice. Uh, Google made the Jamboard. board.
1: Did you play with the Jamboard? board? I played with the Jamboard board at the Google next cloud conference. Uh, yeah. Jake, uh, Kastronakis went out and played with it in Google's, uh, New York offices slash labs where they intend to develop future products. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's five thousand bucks, which seems expensive, but it's still cheaper than a Surface. It basically runs like a big ass Android app, and you can do like Hangouts calls with it. Um, but you can apparently can't send your video and what's on the whiteboard at the same time, which is really dumb. Um, but I don't know. I would love to have one. I, there is no way in hell I'm going to convince um, you know our company to buy a bunch of them. Um, I don't know. I, like, we'll see. I think I think it's cool. I think it looks cute. Uh, I think that. Um, it's pretty smart. I think that's gonna take a while to see if anybody really needs it.
0: Yeah, I'm super into it just because.
1: Yeah,
3: I love I love dumb silly hardware. Yeah. It's dumb and silly. It looks like a big kids I, tablet. I think that's the interesting thing. Like the the collaborative drawing is almost like a tutorial exercise for like web developers learning about websockets. Like, it, like if. As far as web technologies go, you throw up a canvas and find a way to draw onto it, and then you share that with WebSockets, and all of a sudden, everybody's drawing on the same canvas. It's like – it's almost trivial. Obviously, it's a lot more work to make it a polished and good experience and to make it look nice and stuff. But like that, that, that software side of this is so trivial, and then it's tied to this super expensive hardware. It's interesting.
0: Okay. Paul. Yeah. You have a victory for consumers. What did I do? You got Samsung to issue a firmware?
3: Update. Oh gosh, they <laughs> haven't issued it yet. Yeah, you know what? To be honest, like I feel a little dirty. Why? I don't know. Like, I tell don't... the story. Uh, okay, then so, have the emotions. About so the story. Chris Welch dropped this link in the other week, where it's like, "Hey, there's like a bunch of people in this Samsung forum complaining about how their TVs HDMI switching is like over the top and erratic." And it's kind of hard to tell exactly what's going on because it's 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 either the TVs have HDMI CEC features that are um, like not possible to dis- disable, even though there are options to disable it, or there's some other HDMI feature. But basically, when they detect any device waking up, the TVs will switch to that device. And certain devices, it's really bad with, um, especially the Nintendo Switch, which somehow is sending this signal to TVs more than it should while it's asleep. It will say, hey, I'm going to wake up. And so people's TVs will switch to it all the time, and it's really annoying for people. So I just wrote this up uh, very straightforwardly, and I asked Samsung for a comment a week later they got back with me and said, Samsung has been following the comments on our community thread and we will be issuing a firmware update early this summer that will address this behavior and provide the level of convenience that was intended. So not calling it a bug. A level of convenience that was intended. Look, that's all anybody's asking for.
2: Because obviously obviously, this is a good
3: feature. Like if you turn on a device, a lot of times that means you want to watch something on that device. Yeah. But not always – and especially not when it's supposed to be just asleep. Yeah. Um, so hopefully this fixes it, and that would be uh, that'd be great. I think this is like the peril of HDMI CEC, right? Like my Apple TV
0: does this all the time to everything in my stack to the point where I turned off CEC. Yeah. In my house. Yeah. It's, really. Yeah.
1: So I I just I if turned you breathe on, on CD- that
0: remote, it's like what me. Here I am. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty bad.
1: I've turned on CEC and gotten rid of my Harmony One remote.
0: At my LG TV that runs webOS, I actually use that. It's a comedy of errors, but I use that to run everything because it's the best way to get 4K on that TV. And that is CEC controlling everything. But Mm -hmm. when you have like
3: multiple devices that are all competing for that, it's mm-hmm. a nightmare. Well, this, it's weird that CEC is not, um, as far as I know, on any of the big video cards. Uh, maybe ATI does it, but like none of the good NVIDIA cards do it. And I have a 1070, which is plugged into my TV. And what I would love is that when I wake up my TV, or wake up my computer, it switches over to it. And I've been thinking more about the whole, um, I don't want to rehash last week, but this whole... My whole problem with Google Assistant and it like didn't – I just want to have a conversation with Google Assistant. It's like, yo, Google Google Assistant, I know you know about Chromecast. Tell me how you work with Chromecast and we can Chromecast better together. But what I really want (laughs) is is basically if I could say, hey, Siri, or okay, Google, switch – sorry, (laughs) sorry.
0: Paul just (laughs) lit up his phone. (laughs) Um,
3: If I could say one of those magic words – my um, TV would switch to what I wanted to watch. Yeah. Like if I want to watch Chromecast, I could just talk and I'd start watching something on Chromecast, which is in my TV. And then when I'm done and I wanted to switch back to my PC, I want to have to go find my remote and switch the input. That's li- literally all I need for my remote. The only well, thing...
1: You can do that if you like, live in a CEC world. Yeah. With Chromecast.
0: Yeah. But you have to... It's another like ecosystem... Look, here's my point. People were mad on the internet. Yeah. Paul, Paul, well, you noticed. The Verge wrote an article. Samsung's engineers have to write a firmware update. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you really need to know. I'm sorry, I, just don't I'm like sorry, power. I don't engineers. like that power because I don't like that responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should use that power all the time, like ne- required firmware update of the week.
3: Our new series—that's that's good. That's good. The intended level of convenience. If we can constrain this to 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 firmware updates that would provide the level of inconvenience that was intended, then please hit me up on Twitter. Yeah. Can
1: we can we call the series the intended level of convenience? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great.
0: Okay. Last. Well, I'll I'll do this one fast. I want to call out Nick Stat who wrote. Yes. I think we talked about it on the show ages ago. Anker is, like, this quietly powerhouse company that sells everyone's batteries on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we should probe about Anker. Nick went and did it. Talked to the CEO. Talked to a bunch of people who work there. Uh, they That story is great. You should read it. It's basically a bunch of ex-Google engineers who had played around in the Amazon marketplace. And, and their first product was laptop batteries. Second product, a replacement battery for the HTC Sensation. And um, there's um, a quote in the piece where they're like, Yeah, our battery was better than the OEM battery. And he's like, That got us a lot of attention. <laughs> and it just took me back to a time when like a replacement battery for the HTC sensation could like launch your company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you should read it. It's great. Super happy Nick got it. It's a great he did a great job on it. Go read that. Last, I know you've been around this, Paul. Uh Heimgartenberg reviewed the Acer Predator twenty one X, which is A $9,000 laptop. Which he would bring to meetings.
3: He brought to meetings. He he took it to a coffee shop. Like the method version of reviewing. (laughs) 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 Where he would bring it to meetings and he'd like take notes or be writing posts while we're having a meeting. And it'd just drown out everything with his typing on the mechanical keyboard. But yeah, it's a crazy machine.
0: You got to watch this video. There's a scene where he has it in a coffee shop. And then the woman behind him doesn't know what's going on, just staring at him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like drinking coffee and typing and like doing his voiceover and the woman behind him is just like huge eyes just like what what are you doing? Anyway, he said it was unnecessary, but he ended on I think an important note. The world needs these things. Absolutely. Someone's got to go over here. All right. Totally agree. I'm going to read another ad. We've gone way over. I just really want to quick you, Paul, you brought up TVs and how they work. I just want to point out something carriers are doing. All of them are doing TV things. So I'm going to read this ad. We'll talk about that real quick. And then we'll wrap this thing up. We've gone way over. It's been great. This really is like an OG Vergecast. When they used to run like two and a half hours for no reason. There's no limits. No limits. It's the internet. It's only, only the limits we place on ourselves. Also, whatever the carriers say that we can and can't do. This episode of the Vergecast brought to you by Tile. What if you could find anything in seconds, Paul? To live that life. Now with Tile, the tiny Bluetooth tracker that makes finding your things easier than ever, you can do that. Simply attach Tile to your keys, your wallet, your laptop, even your bike, anything you don't want to lose. Finding your things is super easy. Just open the free Tile app on your phone to see your lost item on the map. Then quickly find your item by making your Tile ring, and you will be back in your hands in seconds. And if it's your phone that's missing, just double-press on the Tile to make it ring, even if your phone's on silent. Every day, over 2 million lost items are located with Tile, so join the millions who have used it to help find their lost stuff. And you can get yours today at gettile.com slash verge. That's gettile.com, all one thing, slash verge. And save up to 30% per Tile on a multi-pack, and you get free shipping. And because Tile makes a perfect gift, for a limited time, you get a free gift box with a multi-pack order. So go to gettile.com slash verge. Check it out. Find your stuff. That's gettile.com slash verge. Okay,
3: so Paul, Ooh, wow. Every week, every you do a week thing. I do a segment. It's called Vroom Vroom Goes the Car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, it's two guys this week. I hope that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Sorry to mix it up.
2: <laughs> um, the show's just
3: going long today. Just get vroom. it. Vroom Vroom Goes the Car. Um, vroom Vroom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, well. So. So. There's a Z. It's so hard for me to divorce Vio from Sony because it's like half of what Sony means to me. But anyways, Vio, a random Japanese company, made a Mercedes-Benz edition of a laptop with like – Did you just call Vio a random Japanese company? Yeah. There's a lot behind that. I know. I know there's a big story. Yeah. But it's not Sony Vio. (laughs) Yeah. But Vio. Vio. Um, they made a version of their Z Flip laptop that has all this Mercedes Benz branding, which is it's egregious and it's gross. And, and, and but no, like Porsche made a laptop recently. Sure, so sure, did. nobody yeah. wants it. But the startup noise is a, a room, room. It's really a car making. It's a room, vroom. It makes a like a room, it, like it's a gear shifting car, which is funny because like their flagship image that they want to put on this laptop is an electric car. But anyways, it's it's a, it's a car car noise when it boots up. I think that's funny. But also this Sphero Lightning McQueen. Have you guys seen this?
1: Yeah, it looks dope.
3: So Sphero did uh, the. Uh, Even though I hate cars, the, B- the BBA.
1: Property.
3: I th- I'm getting this from the whole office. I feel like cars. This is at least a mid tier Pixar movie. No. But it's like a lot of people's least. I don't know. It's got like words of wisdom from Paul Newman in it. It's a great car. It's a great movie. The first I one.
0: I read somewhere recently. I read this long thing about how Pixar's fallen off. Yeah. And one of the lines was, Cars is by far the worst Pixar movie?
3: Yeah, that's what I don't get. I don't understand it. What's I mean, worse I have,
1: than Cars?
3: Well, he, to say See? that Cars— That's
0: it. No, uh, like Planes. Like, they made a fucking movie called no, Planes. That was okay. a Disney. <laughs> that was a Disney movie. That was Disney? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. My point is that to hate Cars, you have to hate the underlying premise, which is that the movie Doc Hollywood is bad. Because it is basically the movie Doc Hollywood, and I refuse to admit that the movie Doc Hollywood is bad. That's all I'm saying. Stay strong. I'm here. I'm here for
3: it. I like cars better than Toy Story Three, so Oof. just put that Whoa. out there. Oof.
1: All right. I don't know if I can stay. With but you this, that this
3: car is real. This you got to you just have to go look at it. look for Sphero Lightning McQueen. because it's you, you think it's going to be an RC car, but it's like it's like animated. It's crazy. It,
1: like, yeah, it moves around.
3: It does some stuff. Yeah, the like mouth little, moves. Little bouncy, the eyes blink. Yeah, yeah. With like an LCD, it's great. Check it out.
0: All right, a little bit, a little bit of a TV-related lightning round, and then Vlad does another forty-five minutes. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true. Uh, just three headlines. I just want to put them out there. Uh, the Verizon, the CEO of Verizon, confirmed the company's plan to launch a streaming TV service. Uh, you can now use Alexa to control Dish Hopper DVRs. This one's interesting to me. YouTube TV now supports AirPlay. They still don't have an app on the Apple TV, but you can AirPlay to yeah. the Apple TV. And then the CEO of AT and T which is buying Time Warner, was like, <laughs> yeah, when we get done buying Time Warner, uh, you know, we'll, like, reconfigure things for mobile. Like, maybe we'll just do, like, 20-minute episodes of Game of Thrones because that's what the, the yes. phone people want, uh, which is, like, a headline you can read in a couple of, we had a big argument about it. Like, he was just offering an example. He wasn't saying we're going to make 20-minute episodes of Game of Thrones, but he was definitely like this is the sort of thing I want to do Uh, And he also said at this investor conference, we're already thinking about how to curate that library and turn it into mobile stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not Game of Thrones. It's definitely other Time Warner content. That's a lot of how do we watch TV, where does it come from, what does it look like, news in one week. And my sense of it, and uh, this relates all the way back to net neutrality, the big mobile carriers are all trying to become TV companies. That's their move. They own these big networks. Yeah. They want to program TV on it. They want to charge you for it. They want exclusive it was, content. What's funny
1: about this is we spent most of like the late aughts, like 05 to 2010 Watching a bunch of broadband providers and TV providers thinking they could get into the mobile space, they still do it from time to time. But like, you know, Dish had all sorts of stuff. They bought a bunch of Spectrum. I think Comcast was buying Spectrum, and like, they were trying to get into that and they couldn't. And now the wireless carriers are like so rich, they're like, "Well, actually, we're going to go do your stuff now."
3: Well, yeah. and, and even like rewinding further, the the um, this is something Tim Kelly talks about a lot. But like when people first heard of the internet like oh we'll have like newspapers and tv channels on the internet yeah well that's ridiculous like that's not what the internet is it's it's loosely well you have to read um piece to know what the web really is (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's linked information you know so the idea of sitting and watching a tv channel is so antithetical and i hate it personally I, I don't want I don't want TV. If you call your thing TV, I thought you
1: meant the internet. I was like, oh boy.
3: No, no. if you call Another your thing TV, no. I'm like that's an immediately like one thumbs down. And maybe you've made such a great thing that the uh, following subsequent thumbs ups will yeah. bring me to find a way to watch it on my own terms. But like you've already biased me against it by calling it TV because TV to me is you creating a stream of information that you think some generic person will enjoy. And I'm a cool unique snowflake. <laughs> and I I like I, you know I like some of my favorite stuff right now is basically funded by Patreon. Yeah. Like stuff that is is it, it like the fact that someone pitched something to a television network and went through that whole process and got a 100 executives to decide that this was a good idea means i probably think it's a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know i think this like this tv moment is
0: it's just fascinating to me the cable companies were so long denied that cord cutting was happening mm. and now it's definitely happening and impacting their businesses like espn is going under because fewer and fewer people are paying for espn yeah that they're trying to There's something valuable about TV, but they're trying to push it into these other spaces or somewhat less interestingly just deliver TV over the top. Like download YouTube TV and you can watch just straight up TV with the DVR. I don't know. I think they're just missing something really important about what people want out of the internet and like how you can compete with it. And I I, – the YouTube TV thing to me is fascinating that they didn't just put an app on the app store. Yeah, I have, a, so, I, have a, I have a lot of guesses as to why because they have an iOS app and it's not that hard to take an, an iOS app for the phone and put it on the Apple TV. But I bet they want people to sign up right from there and Apple wants to take a cut or Apple wants to do its own TV service and they're restricting exactly what YouTube TV can do. And so these endpoints of how does a big screen work, it's, just, it's getting more and more and more complicated. And then you have the CEO of at t being like, but what if we take the stuff for the big screen? make it for the small screen and it's just it's just wide open chaos
1: so here's a funny thing Uh, you know i i've used uh, playstation view i've used um, the DirecTV stuff whatever it was and i switched over to youtube tv because i was like oh like they did a dvr properly it's like up in the cloud where i want it uh, and it you know works across more devices and like this sounds great this is exactly what i wanted out of a tv service they might not have all the channels i want but this is what i want and you know what I barely use it, and I definitely, like, every time I think, oh, man, I should, like, get this show on my DVR, I'm like, why the hell would I bother going through all the work of trying to find a show and make sure that it's saved properly in my DVR, when instead what I could do is just get it on demand or get the best parts of it on demand on, you know, YouTube breakout clips? Like, it's all of this work to take a bunch of, like, TV metaphors, especially the DVR metaphor... And convert it to, you know, a 2017 world. Turns out, at least for me, to be like just a total whiff. Like just give it to me on demand like Netflix does or don't bother me.
0: Yeah. I mean, but then you get run into things like live events, right? Like
1: where do those go? That's why I'm staying subscribed is so that I can watch like five things a year, (laughs) which is insane. (laughs) Basically.
0: there it is. I will say, though, on the flip side, I do sometimes enjoy just sitting down and being like, what's on? And like that's fine, but it's yeah. a pretty minor thing in my life. Anyway, my point is, it's chaos, exciting chaos. We should probably do something. I'm just gonna pitch more story ideas on the Verge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we are doing me. something. We're Hit doing me. something. We're doing something. Yeah, it's a secret. Okay, well, if you're a competitor to the Verge, you heard nothing.
3: No. <laughs> my version of what's on now is 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 Twitch.com. Really? Yep. Maybe yeah. we should do something on Twitch, like just live stream you all day long. I would love that. The Paul Show. Yeah. I've been looking for more time to play Factorio. You need like long interrupted sessions. Yeah. So uh, the intended level of convenience with Paul Miller. Now streaming on <laughs> twitch.com. That is the VergeCast.
0: I would like to thank our producer, Andrew Marino, for all that he does, mm-hmm. including editing this nightmare together, which he's gonna have to do. But there's other stuff to listen to. Sadly, none of them are verge podcasts any longer. There's there's back episodes of the VergeCast. Listen to yeah. those. Those are great. Uh, there's back episodes of Control out Delete 75 listen to of all them. 75. Uh yeah. In a row. Do that and then I would like the the listeners to submit me a oh. one page essay on common themes.
3: Yeah, what would you say oh the narrative? God. Like I I like I've found a couple podcasts in my life where I've like found them, loved them and had to listen to the back catalog. Yeah. What would you say the narrative? Or a, or just one of the themes that someone might get from 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 that story from the the seventy five episodes of Control Delete. I actually just
0: went and listened to the first one again. Like we didn't know what we were doing, so they've gotten much longer. That's mm-hmm. one part of the narrative. The other one is Walt's desire to tell stories about what came before. I think went up as the time went on because there's so much about what's happening now that's in infancy that relates to how. Products we took, take for granted now were once in their infancy and Walt saw all of that evolution. So I, I love doing that show. Can't thank him enough for doing it with me. Go listen to that. Like I said, we're doing one more live episode of Control Out Delete. Dieter is going to be in town. He's going to be on it. It's June 9th, New York City's School of Visual Arts. I'm going to build that dunk tank for you. Uh, June 9th, School of Visual Arts, 6 p.m. Live Control Out Delete. As soon as I get that ticket link, there will be a post on the site. We'll tell everybody about it. We'd love to have you to come get to hang out with me and Walt and Dieter afterwards. It's going to be super fun. There's also other podcasts to listen to. They're wonderful. Lauren Good, our one- talented, wonderful senior editor, who's too embarrassed to ask. Walt's going to be on that one, actually, soon. Um, Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, which is super smart. My favorite, because I'm a media nerd. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. Go listen to all that. It's all on iTunes. There's a new like iTunes Vox Media page that shows all of the Vox Media podcasts. Go check that out. Rate them all. Review them. Get into them. And we... Next week we'll be at the Code Conference. It's a fact, Total a lot of fact, big, a lot big of big names at the
1: Code Conference.
0: Big big names. Uh, Hillary Clinton first yep. big onstage thing happening at Andy the Code Rubin's Conference. Andy Rubin's going to be there. Andy Rubin. A lot of rumors. That some news from the Rubes. They have tweeted that uh,
1: they're going to make a big announcement on May thirtieth, which lines up with the Code Conference, which is very
0: interesting
3: indeed. Uh, Return. Of the sidekick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: But we'll be there. We'll be covering it. Recode will have all the coverage, of course. We'll have highlights for the consumer audience over on the Verge side. And we'll be doing a podcast from there. Casey, Lauren, Dieter, and I will be doing, if you listen to last year's Code Conference, Vergecast, it was pure nonsense. We're going to try to do a little better this time. Are we? eh, We'll see what we can do. And then it's WNBC. So crazy few weeks ahead of us. But we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. That is the Vergecast. Rock and roll.
3: Paul. Snap, Rum! Vroom, vroom. Snap. <laughs> goes the
0: night.